this is not just a dialed in marketing, internal marketing campaign. This is real. So giving them a seat at the table, giving them a voice, creating a working council, creating a charter to align on what we're about and each individual ERG creating their own charter of what they're about and what they stand for. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Leveling Up is made possible by Marlowe. Marlowe enables you to support your managers and emerging leaders with twice monthly sessions led by Marlowe's expert management development coaches. Partnering with their coaches, Marlowe members focus on the skills that matter most to them. Skills like communication, time management, people management, strategic awareness, and more. Support your managers and emerging leaders wherever they are in their journey with Marlowe's one-to-one coaching and training. Head to getmarlowe.com for more information. Hey everyone, today's episode is with Pamela Matson, the VP of People and Organizational Development at Outreach. Pamela shares how she made the transition from Amazon to Outreach, and she explains what life at Outreach looks like. This is pulled from our archives. When we recorded the episode in December of 2021, for some reason, it never made it live, and that's our mistake. Pamela has kindly agreed to let us publish the episode about seven months late. So please, as you're listening, keep that in mind. But we are so grateful to publish such an important conversation. Let's get on with it. Pamela, thanks so much for being with me. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mary. Well, so today we're going to get into a lot of different topics. But before we do, I wanted to give you a chance to quickly introduce yourself and how you ended up in organizational development at Outreach in particular. Great. Um, As Mary said, I'm Pamela Matson. I lead our learning and development strategy here at Outreach. Uh, Before Outreach, I was at Amazon for just under five years, uh, leading executive development. So that would be all of the onboarding and development of director and above. Um, And that's several thousand people at Amazon, as you can imagine. Uh, Coming to Outreach, I was sharing with Mary um, before we started recording that a big part of my role at Amazon was keeping Amazon a day one company. And by day one, simply meaning startup mentality. You know, what is the velocity of your decision making? Are you pushing decisions down to the lowest possible level, to the level, the front lines where people are actually making those decisions and they're impacting customers? Um, how, How agile and innovative are you as an organization? And how can we reduce and prevent bureaucracy and duplication? So that was a big part of my role. So it's a quite organic, um, transfer of skills and mental models to actually go into the trenches of a startup organization that's high growth, category leader, hugely innovative. Um, So for me, it was more of sort of walking the talk of getting into the startup world. And you did that during a time when now we are, gosh, in the past two years, the whole world has shifted dramatically and outreach has, of course, grown quite a bit. Um, Can you talk to, you know, the the changes that have happened within outreach over the past uh, 18 to 24 months? Absolute rocket ship growth. Um, We've gone from 400 employees in a matter of 12 months to over a thousand. This year marked um, a triple in valuation in less than 12 months. So, I mean, we interpret that as 
the market speaking, um, that we are truly a category leader in engagement and intelligence. And I think a place where people want to come and work. Um, one of the key differentiators and one of the reasons why I said yes to this opportunity is we are committed at outreach to do diversity, equity, and inclusion differently and create a place where people can show up as their authentic selves and be better for having worked here. So that's an exciting opportunity for, to be a part of. I, being able to show up as your authentic self and you know, this, is, this is something that lots of organizations talk about. How has outreach approached making that possible, you know, from the high level down to the you know, individual team level? What are the pieces that have been going into to place there? Well, I'll start by saying it's, it is a work in progress. Um, this is something that you continuously work at. It's not something that you can just declare. Um, so that's what I mean by doing DEI differently. And I think we overuse those words, but it's an umbrella for can you show up and feel like you truly belong? Or is a lot of mental um, and emotional energy spent on code switching, showing up as you need to be to fit into the culture? So what that means for such a diverse uh, workplace requires a lot of conversation, a lot of inspection and audit into systems and processes. Um, and you can't simply declare it. You can't simply say, we're an inclusive workplace. You have to actually measure it. You have to measure that the promotion velocity is on point, that pay equity is on point, um, that there's not subtle messaging that people need to be different or other than they are um, to fit in, to be successful here. Um, so it's putting those conversations on the table, um, having a hard and strong look in the mirror of where we're meeting the mark and where we're not. Um, so it's the difference between, of course, we're doing the traditional unconscious bias and compliance pieces of training and development. But what's different here is we already have and with with you know just over a thousand employees, nine employee resource groups. So to have both a rainbow LGBTQIA plus uh, community of support and gender plus and black excellence and Latinx. So we're, I feel like we're well represented with nine employee resource groups and we're moving into having conversations, not just about inclusion, but about anti-oppression and what that means. So it's doing the deep work and, and we're never done. Thank you for, for giving that overview because it's so important for our listeners who are trying to figure out how do we walk the talk, right? How we know that we need to make changes and we know we need to continue to have this be a part of our operational process and not just something that we talked about once and then moved away from, right? Which happens so often, unfortunately. Um, I'd love to dig into ERGs a little bit more in terms of how did you approach uh, resourcing these teams, right? So that they can actually have the programming that they need. Um, what was, what did all of that look like? I think I'm, I'm building, I'm standing certainly on the shoulders of things that were happening already organically, you know, so people were starting to gather. Um, but you're, you're pointing to the critical part that where we turn a corner of of empowering these groups. So if they were organically gathering and connecting and supporting one another, um, designating them as an employee resource group and a place to go for support, for resources, for, for conversation, and to celebrate and educate around that particular um, population, um, that's, where, that's where the rubber meets the road for me. Um, and in terms of resources, so 
taking the organic ones, asking ourselves who's missing, asking our employee base who would like to raise their hand to be a lead of this. That was easy. You know, people were raising their hands seriously. You're going to give us a platform. You're going to give us a safe seat at the table to influence policies and truly make changes. Oh, this is not just a dialed in marketing, internal marketing campaign. This is real. Um, so giving them a seat at the table, giving them a voice, creating a working council, creating a charter to align on what we're about, and each individual ERG creating their own charter of what they're about and what they stand for, and then giving them a budget. So give a budget for everything as simple as a gathering together, even if it's virtual, or uh, a donation to make out into their community, make a difference in the community at large, not just internal to outreach. Um, and I would say also um, development opportunities. Um, so giving them access to uh, consultants or going to conferences. We're a member of the Washington Technology Pact WTIA um, that makes a commitment to representation. And we recently actually won their first DEI award, which I was very excited about. But we empower our ERG leads to go to those conferences and go to those meetups um, so that they get access to leadership opportunities outside of outreach in addition to internal to outreach. You mentioned earlier that you were measuring uh, the success of DEI in general and, and in specific ways throughout your organization, including you know, promotion cycles, things like that. What other ways have you seen quantifiable ways to say, okay, our efforts are actually working or they're really not? Any, anything that you've learned over the past year or so in that area? Part of the pact um, that I just mentioned is about representing the communities that you're in. So we've actually committed to representation. That's one thing. Um, I think, uh, doing a read and there's tools that you can use to do this or you can do this manually but searching through job descriptions and looking for language that doesn't feel inclusive or may not attract um, all populations outwardly declaring it i think is important on job descriptions and things like that um, the recruitment part i think is we've got some tried and and tested true things that we can do I would say that the, the big work is the internal work. Are people, diverse folks, able to thrive once they're here? And are we measuring things like promotion velocity, pay equity? Are we putting mechanisms in place to ensure diverse loops and diverse candidate pipelines? And one of the things I'm most excited about is breaking down barriers to traditionally non-diverse industries like tech and sales you know those are that's where our intersection is um, and breaking down those barriers making it more inclusive making sure that we're diversifying women for example only hold 12 percent of coveted leadership positions in the sales industry that certainly does not represent the number of women who are buyers or the number of women who this is the career they've chosen wow so in terms of what You've done already in the past uh, year or two, a lot of that has come into this growth that you mentioned before. You've more than doubled your team size, bringing on 600 employees around this, the country, or are you also globally distributed? We're also globally distributed. So we have presence in, in Europe, so in, in London and in Prague. Right. And so in terms of making sure that uh, these different areas of focus are happening all you know in an asynchronous distributed multiple location environment how are what challenges have you seen and how have you approached those challenges 
Some of the conversation can feel, and it's natural when a headquarters is in a particular location, either Seattle-centric or U.S.-centric. So I think, again, it starts one conversation at a time of making sure that the, our, our team members and colleagues in Prague or London are able to represent what diversity means for them uh, to talk about these challenges that are specific to those geographic areas. Um, so it's it's truly walking the talk of inclusion and making sure we're celebrating, for example, Black History Month, not just in the United States, it actually falls in the fall in Europe. Interesting. And just making sure that everybody is getting that attention where they're locally based. And, you know, inclusion within communication channels and, and decision-making processes as well is one that I know a lot of companies are still hammering out in terms of how do we make sure that everybody's voice feels heard, even if they're in a different time zone or a different process. Has that been part of the conversation? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But if we're, if we're hosting a lunch and learn in the Pacific time zone, that's not really a lunch and learn for our prog colleagues. Um, so just paying attention to the tactical details of, of how we're scheduling and making sure it's a, it's friendly for our global colleagues. But I would say more philosophically um, that we think in a global mindset. That's one of the biases is that we make sure that we're thinking globally because we are a global organization. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that the conversation around anti-oppression has come up and I wanted to pull that separately in, in terms of how, how has that conversation come up? Um, how is it being facilitated to make sure that the dialogue can continue? What does that all look like internally to the extent that you're able to share? Yeah, happy to share. So a couple of different ways that we're doing it. Um, one is that we hold ERG office hours, which is essentially, you think of yourself as having this like incredibly talented panel of lived experience, you know, ask me anything sessions. They're, they're well attended. It's very real. It's very deep. It's often incredibly moving to be a part of that conversation. And then more specifically, anti-oppression workshops that we're about to host our third one this week, in fact, of just looking at it through a lens or a framework of we're all on our own DEI journey. A lot of uh, or all of oppression is connected. So even though we might separate them out in terms of the conversation of a particular population um, or, or an identity, the systems of oppression are connected and we need to talk about that. We need to call that out. One of our most recent conversations, for example, centered around how corporate culture mimics very much white supremacy culture. So the right to comfort or a sense of urgency, those are actually, that stems from more of a, a white dominant culture. Um, so to be in conversation about what comfort means and to consider people who are uncomfortable most of the day in those settings, um, that we don't get this right to comfort. And a lot of the discussions, if we're gonna make progress, true progress will be uncomfortable. Can we together embrace discomfort in, in exchange for progress. I know a lot of companies might want to start this conversation, but it, it seems like it needs to happen organically. Um, and I'm curious how it started to happen. Like, where did, the, where did it start? Was it, you know, March of 2020, April, May, or was it, you know, more organically in the past few months? It's a great, great, great question. I, I, I would say these conversations have been happening for decades. Um, have we been making progress? No. 
Did the United States and the world give us a lot of conversation starters, um, mostly through outrage and frustration, 100%. So I think we have fodder for this discussion. And what's different is that it's not under the table or on a backdoor Slack channel, for example. We're actually bringing senior leaders together That's with right. employees to have the deeper conversation. So some of it is organic. There has to be a willingness, but more important than a willingness for me is psychological safety. So I think we've just done the hard work of creating an environment where, where people can feel psychologically safe to have the conversation and be on the path of getting it right, not being right, um, and reducing the fear of saying the wrong things. It is a beautiful thing to witness someone saying, I want to talk about this particular topic and I feel ill-equipped. What would you recommend? you know, from someone who has that lived experience. Can you point me in this direction? It's not your job to educate me. It's not your job to make me feel better about myself, but I do feel clumsy, but I wanna stay in the conversation. Like, what would you recommend? Um, and then sharing bridge to resources. I think that's a big thing too, is that we've got this beautiful slide that was created by one of our, our researchers and employee here who's super passionate and, and a, a huge activist in this area. And she's put together like literally, if you're at this point on the path of DEI, you're just describing it, you're new to it, here are 10 books that we recommend. And a big part of the messaging is one of the strongest things you can do to make progress is continue to work on you and yourself. Um, continue to educate yourself. Continue to, to stare hard in the mirror at the systems um, that seem normal that are not inclusive. And, and the reality is there are so many great resources. It's great that you have a structured sharing or shareable format that people can access the right resources at the right stage of, of their journey. And organizations have that same responsibility, right? There are so many organizations such as Outreach who are taking an approach that is public and admirable and, and you can learn from rather than, you know, starting from scratch internally. And so I know a lot of our listeners are watching, you know, whether it's DEI, looking for, for guidance from that angle, but also returning to work, looking for guidance on others. Like there's no reason for any company to just start from scratch at this point. It's one of my favorite things about, um, you know, one of the positive differences that the pandemic has made and the, the social and political and racial unrest that's made is that we are in this together. And it's not just behind closed doors that we're trying to address these issues and make progress, but we're, we're in conversation with other people in the industry and adjacent industries to, to do this better and to do it right. Because it's a human issue. It's not just a company issue. You have a deep background in leadership development. You, you're a PCC certified coach, if I'm not mistaken, and you also run a leadership development organization. So as you turn to your leaders, what guidance are you providing leaders throughout these discussions on DEI and, and making sure that the systems are getting updated and, and things are actually moving in the right direction? How are you guiding other leaders? I mean, I, th I think making their part, their responsibility and diversity, equity, and inclusion is a part of leadership. It is a part of your job. It's not an adjacent, you know, set of responsibilities. It is the way we lead. Uh, inclusive leadership, we can just drop the inclusive piece because you're not being a leader if you're not being inclusive. It's not going away. So it's a walk-talk demand. Um, it's a do-your-work demand. And it's also a conversation of the window of opportunity to make this right, not get it right always, but make this right, never closes. 
So the more conversation about failing, attempting and failing and owning that failure, um, that, that's what creates a safe working place. Not doing it perfectly, not doing it perfectly, but doing it authentically and in each and every conversation, looking for ways to elevate underrepresented voices in every room that you're in, be a virtual room or an in-person room, looking around the room and saying, who's not here? Whose voice is not here? Because that's actually gonna make us stronger as an organization, it's gonna make us more innovative, and it, and it represents the communities in which we work. That habit is so easy to develop, right? It's one of those, I, I was at, at a, an event for investors and founders, and it was the first time in my entire life I was the only woman at an event with 40 people. Yeah. And I, I was genuinely shocked. And I, I had that moment of, whoa, this is this has actually never happened. People talk about it, it's never happened. And, and I think experiencing it, and the guys next to me were like, oh, I hadn't even noticed you know, 45 men and, and nobody even noticed. Um, and I think that that one habit can have a massive ripple effect to the people around you when you start saying it out loud. 100%. And, and so much of even the conversations around development and, and creating, you know, peak performer uh, programs that are incredibly diverse or even targeted toward diverse leaders. So for example, we have a, a women in sales the leadership development program, nine month deep dive program where they're coming together in a small cohort. Um, and this is literally developing a diverse pipeline. We're gonna do that in partnership with our Black Excellence ERG as well. Um, so because the permissions we give ourselves when we are the dominant population in the room to speak out and do things like that, you had that exact experience. If you're the only or you're the only one in a room, you're not giving yourself the same permission. That's the code switching that I mentioned earlier, that that requires a lot of cognitive and emotional energy. So we are elevating it and we have to do the hard work to elevate them, but in partnership with their co-designers to this program. Right, not coming in and trying to place it on top and hope that it works out. What resources externally have you leaned on to make these programs more effective? It's a great question. I. I I would say I'm hugely influenced by Brene Brown's work, uh, Simon Sinek's work, Robin DiAngelo's work in diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, I could go on and on in terms of the, the books and references. I would say that the, the biggest influence for me and that this, this resonates through the culture of outreach is shared humanity, that we're approaching this from a place of, of the heart and human being, not just our organization. Um, can we make this a safe place for humans to thrive? Um, are we a place that attracts hungry craftspeople who are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, so making it a human conversation. So any of the thought leaders that are focused on this is our responsibility from a shared humanity standpoint, that's going to be a huge influence for me. Great, thank you. And and we'll definitely link to the resources that you mentioned. These are the ones that we also share quite a bit at Marlowe. And, and of course, Brene is, is a favorite around here as well. I, I'd love to shift the conversation a little bit toward uh, the future, right? And where you're seeing things in the next 12 to you know 18 months as outreach continues to grow, I'm sure. What is it, what are the big challenges ahead and what are you excited about? Uh, attracting and retaining diverse talent, that's, that's always a big uh, challenge, is a challenge across the board. Um, I'm excited about what the workforce is demanding of organizations today, because I think it's a great demand. It's an exciting demand. So the challenge ahead is um, 
well-being is on the table, uh, mental health is on the table, uh, inclusion is on the table, um, a thriving workforce that's flexible, friendly is on the table. Um, so I think that attracting the right talent, keeping them, um, and making sure that this is a place where people can truly grow their craft is sort of what where our people team is thinking about. I think also listening to our customers. I mean, we are changing the category of sales, engagement, and intelligence. So we've automated through our products so much of what the human used to be focused on. So as AI gets stronger, the human element needs to get stronger as well. So I think this is an incredible time for people in our industry around human development, not just leadership development. Human development. I think that's a, that's a great one for us to start to, to close out on. And because I think this, you know, everybody, as we wrap up the end of the year, I think we all need a big break and a sigh of like, let's take a deep breath and kind of re-energize for the year ahead because there's so much that, that we've all been through and, and so much ahead of us to, to continue to do. So I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to add from what we've said so far? And I think, I think building on the, what the future looks like, I think, you know, high tech is at the intersection of high human right now mm -hmm. and awesome. organizations that can embrace that, lean into that, that as we advance in a technology place or AI machine learning, that this, this high human piece is mission critical. Um, it's the AI enabling human interactions, AI enabling human trust. And that's just going to require a totally different um, emotional intelligence than was demanded of leaders in, in prior years. And wh what do you think companies are going to be doing or need to do to actually get ahead of that? What actions are you taking and expecting others to take? I would say key differentiators, it's, it's back to the human development piece that, you know, this might sound a little bit woo, but levels of consciousness have to change. You have to be self-aware. You have to be um, inspiring in an authentic way, um, not in just a showmanship or charisma way. Um, that, that is sort of the, the leadership of the past. Not that it's not important, not that it's not effective in certain contexts, but can I trust you? is one of the big questions for for employee for the employment you know the talent force right now can i trust you is this a place where i can be myself is this meaningful work um, and these are conversations that maybe they had over happy hour with friends but now they're having it it's it's in the workplace we have to provide a place where people can be fully themselves um, provide meaningful work healthy mental health and well-being um, and deeply emotionally intelligent leaders I was just having um, lunch the other day with a, a new leadership team member of a large company who had switched from another company. And he was saying, you know, he had just wrapped up paternity leave. Yeah. And he said, I just, you know, I, it's really hard to get back into work and feel like I, I, he needed to be able to love what he was working on and to feel like this was worthy of pulling him away from his new child. And I think this, shift of being able to be with our families a little bit more than we had in, in the past and be able to see that shift also pulls at how yes. can organizations take you away from the other values in your life? Um, there has to be a higher level of value there. So do you think that we're just going to see massive shifts in, in organizational structures because people are leaving in waves because those companies haven't been able to keep up? I do. I do. I mean, I think this is a, an awakening organizations. And if you're tone deaf to what's happening, 
um, there's going to be a big problem. You're not going to be able to attract the talent and the talent that will stay in an environment that doesn't offer this may not be the talent that you want. Um, and it's and it requires role modeling. I mean, our, our CEO, Manny, uh, recently took his full paternity leave. He, he you know, used the night doula. Um, but, you know, to get better sleep, and he offers that to every employee at Outreach, the unlimited time off. This, these are types of things that are not just benefits, but they're, they're saying we trust you. It's, a, it's focused on a results-oriented workplace of saying we trust you, we're going to treat you like an adult, and we want you to be healthy um, and balanced. And balance does not happen every single day, um, but, but balance happens over time, and you're responsible for it, supported by us. How does that work for the in- entry-level team members? Because we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of conversation around most employees, but there's also this section of people entering the workforce right now where it's, I can't even imagine entering the workforce at this stage where yeah. they went from being remote their senior year of college or their senior year of grad school, last year of grad school, into a remote or dynamic work environment. What's your, your approach to bringing these team members on and, and getting them up to speed quickly and feeling supported? And it may not be the perfect approach. You know, we're learning, we're experimenting with things like this, but I think a really solid onboarding program um, so that we are normalizing the reduction in confidence and competence when you're in a new environment, new area, and new to the workforce, perhaps. Um, From a well-being or balance standpoint, our entire go-to-market team takes a refresh day. And it's really important that everybody on that team is off so you're not missing anything. You don't have this worry that I've missed an important meeting or I'm being seen as not productive. No, we're all taking it, including our CRO is taking a refresh day today. You're good, we've got this. Um, and encouraging that type of behavior, that balance, that, that mental health days that's needed and, and taking advantage of the un- unlimited time off. Like we get a letter from our CEO every Friday for the weekends, for a weekend letter um, to the entire organization. And much of that is focused on balance, truly, you know, reflecting, taking the time to reflect, um, taking the time to learn and develop. So sending those messages from the very top is important, but I would say more important is role modeling it. I, I'm I hesitated to ask this question because it was one that, that I didn't want to throw at you left field, but over the late last week, a, a venture capitalist posted around um, burnout. Isn't it, you know, isn't it just time that people get back to work and stop talking about burnout? And there's this sort of like kind of boomerang happening of, uh, you know, we know burnout's real. We know it's happening. We know it's, it has massive consequences. And yet some people aren't as familiar with this concept because they haven't experienced it or they just don't, they don't get it. Um, where does this structure of, you know, you have some leaders on the spectrum who are like, gosh, why can't people just like get back to work and get the job done? And I, you know, my response was, we can't just consider this, a um, you know, oh, kids these days kind of problem, right? There's a real change happening that's impacting people. But I do think there's a part. So the question in here is, I do think there's a part of this that comes down to skill development and having the skills to feel confident to say, I'm taking a refresh day, even if the rest of the team isn't taking it or setting those boundaries. Um, have you seen specific skills make a huge impact and is outreach approaching development of those skills in any particular way? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that does fall in the spectrum of the inclusive leadership skills. And again, when we use words like diversity, equity, inclusion, like it, it, we can kind of get sort of glaze over because mm-hmm. it's been so used. So let's get really tactical. Empathy. Um, owning the story you're making up, like the story I'm making up is, or let me check with you. Um, but I, I have a little bit of a, a counterintuitive answer. For those leaders who don't think it's real and just want us to get back to work, I have a lot of compassion because I imagine that they represent a big part of our workforce, especially our older generation workforce, who have been valued and rewarded for what they produced and done. This sounds normal, right? What they haven't been valued and rewarded for is who they are. And that's where the conversation changes. If we're able to say we're bringing the human being back to business, not just the human doing, and that we value our employees for who they are, not just what they do for the company. Um, This is a place where they can show up as fully authentic um, and they're valued. And we know that they'll be when we talk about, for example, grit, it's a core value. Well, you can interpret grit as like just, you know, that's the person that's a superhero is on every day and, you know, boom, 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 just breaking through brick walls, which is part of our definition. We talk about it in the context of collective grit. You know what's required for collective grit? It's just like a, a flock of geese. I'm sure that has a special word for that. I can't think of it right now, but it's where the one one, one (laughs) goose is is flying in the front and the others are sort of getting that sort of tailwind um, and and then taking turns leading the pack. Like that's collective grit, which requires rest. It requires reflection. A growth mindset requires reflection and rest. You don't gain... Um, intelligence based on an experience per se, you gain intelligence based on reflecting that experience. So I think that if we're talking about the conversation of changing the game, that humans want to be valued for who they are in addition to what they produce. But if that's the only way you're focused on it, of course, it's going to be hard to take a day off. Um, It's almost like we start over. Stop interviewing for your job. You've got the job. We trust you. Of course, we're going to do hard work. We're doing, we're doing hard work. We're doing amazing things. And that can't be done every single day, every single hour. That's not sustainable. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great note for us to wrap up on. And I think, you know, our listeners are, are approaching this from a variety of organizations, right? You have the traditional organizations that have different multi-generation. And I'm sure that uh, more and more tech companies are facing multi-generation challenges as well. Wrapping up on empathy and compassion is a great place to to end. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Pamela. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.